Okay, thank you, Brother Dale. It's good to see you tonight, and I hope that you have been having a good day. Um, question for you, and you can uh, talk to the people that are around you. We'll give you permission to talk in church at least for a little bit. Why don't you take a moment <clears throat> and talk to the people that are right around you, just kind of gather up in little groups. What is it that concerns you most about what's going on in our society today? And uh, share that with one another, and then we'll have a word of prayer about that in just a moment, okay? What is it that concerns you the most? Gas prices? That's certainly a problem, and it affects all of us, but is that kind of where you land? Food prices? What's going on, and what do you see that's going on in the world? Share that with one another just for a couple of moments. Might be somebody's health. Okay, you know what I noticed? You didn't have to think real hard. You got a lot on your heart, a lot on your mind. A lot of things that are going on right now, right? Things we don't really understand, things we didn't anticipate. And apparently, you got a lot of things, right? Let's pray together okay, before we open the Word of God in Psalm 9. Heavenly Father, we are burdened about people, about things, circumstances, politics, the economy, the wickedness of the human heart, on and on and on we could go. And yet, Father, we don't even come close to seeing everything the way you see it. And we want to pray, Father, you would give us your mind and give us your heart so that we see the things we're supposed to see. But also, Lord, we confess to you we don't always have the right attitude. And we don't always take the right action toward those things. Sometimes we just ignore them. Sometimes we let them go. Other times we get angry about things we should be broken hearted about. And we just can't quite get it right. But we sang a song earlier that said we're seekers of your heart. Oh, Father, if we only had the heart of God and understood that tonight as we look around at the wicked world around us. So help us. And all these concerns that we have, we're lifting them up to you. People, situations, politics, the economy, the human heart. We lift them all up to you, Lord because they're in your hands. And we ask you, Lord, to bless us, protect us and those that we love, and allow us to minister in your name and for your glory to people wherever we can. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Psalm 9. Psalm 9. I uh, think about some things that are 
Well, they're on my heart tonight. Of course, I think about uh, Brother Bob Hooker and his battle with COVID, uh, near and dear, right, to all of us. I also think about uh, when I got up this morning and listened uh, to the news, and they said that the average price of gasoline had gone up 30 cents overnight. And it's going to continue to do that. We're in summer and there's demand for it and all of that type of thing. But when I thought about it, it was more than just, man, that's aggravating. It's going to cost me more to fill up my tank. Got to thinking about people who need to get to work who can't afford the price of gas. What does that do? What do they do? How do they take care of their families? The Bible says that uh, if a man doesn't take care of his own... He's worse than an infidel and has denied the faith. In other words, God expects us to work. And he expects us to take care of our families. Well, what if the policies of a government make it so that a person cannot do that because they can't afford the gas to get to work or to buy the food that their family needs? Baby formula shortages. Who, what in the world? And how does this translate as costs for transportation by trains and by trucks, especially as it just goes through the roof? It's going to drive prices up. What about people that can't afford to take care of their families? They work hard. Maybe they even work a couple of jobs, but they can't quite stretch it out to meet the needs of their family. It's a sad situation, isn't it? Then the uh, shootings that have been taking place. And it seems like that there are people all over the nation that they're looking at all the wrong things when it comes to the shootings. God knows the heart and he knows what we need to do and it really is a heart problem, right? Then I uh, heard about uh, outside of Justice Kavanaugh's home where they arrested that man who had come from California to uh, allegedly murder Justice Kavanaugh because of the leaked report about the Roe versus Wade ruling being overturned. And it wasn't long after that that uh, I heard that in the new Pixar, Pixar movie called Lightyear, they have a lesbian kiss in that boy I got to thinking about all of that and I got a little bit burdened down you ever get burdened down you ever feel like man it's coming like a tsunami against us coming like a tsunami who knows what tomorrow is going to bring who knows what battles we're going to face? Who knows what the enemy is going to do? And uh, boy, it just was kind of weighing me down. And I was thinking about all of this. And then uh, I started studying for tonight. Psalm 9 and verse 17 is where we're going to pick up tonight. And the title of the message is When God Says Enough. And you know there's a day coming when God is going to, from his holy throne, from his sovereign throne, he's going to say, time is up, that's it, 
enough. And the Lord Jesus is going to return. And when you think about all of that, when he returns, what's going to happen? Well, if there were headlines on the paper, it would say, God wins. And uh, not like he's ever been losing or ever lost. Everything's going the way. I mean, he told us about all of this. In the latter days, Paul told Timothy, perilous times shall come. And then he describes all of the things that are going to be happen because of, happening because of the condition of the human heart. So it did me good to read this and look at verse 17 in Psalm 9. Everybody found it? Got it? The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Sounds like God's not going to be passive. It sounds like he's going to do something and it sounds like he's going to do something that is very severe. Verse 18. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. You know, there are just a lot of people who just don't have a voice in society today. They're forgotten. They're not rich. They're not powerful. They don't have any status. And they're just kind of set aside, ignored, pushed away. You ever feel like that? The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. I say here's a person here who loves Jesus. But the kind of job that they have does not and is never going to make them much money. And now living in the world that they're living in, inflation takes a bigger bite out of their paycheck. Taxes do the same. And then, because of the political correctness that we live in today, this person who loves Jesus, who works hard, is now told that they have to put a gay pride sticker on their desk or on their windshield of their car. And they look at it and they say, I, I, I can't do that. My convictions won't let me do that. And they hear the words, then you're no longer welcome to work here. We are a woke corporation and everybody that works here has to support that. You see, the way the liberal agenda works right now, no matter what it is they say, you can interpret it like this. Shut up. Shut up. Pastors, you know, there are some things you can't really say because it'll be labeled as hate speech. Translation, shut up. You know what they say to you? You've got your ideas. They're from another era they're from another generation. They don't work today. You know what that really means? Shut up. We don't want to hear you. You got to go along with us. It's not enough for you to let us have our ideas. You've got to agree with us or you're not worthy to speak. What basically did Twitter say several years ago to President Trump? Shut up. We don't want to hear you. What are they saying now? Go along with us or you're out. Isn't that right? And we don't know what to say. We don't know what pronouns to use anymore. We don't know. Uh, I was at Cracker Barrel yesterday. And uh, we took uh, Emma there. And uh, she uh, beat me in a game of checkers. And uh, had a good time regardless. But uh, it says up above the place where you give your name, it says hostess station. 
And there was a big, ugly man that was there. I started to make a joke, but I didn't. And I told Sammy later on, I said, you know, you don't really know what to say or what not to say, even in humor anymore, do you? We live in perilous times, weird times. And so King David writes about all of this kind of stuff. And he says, the expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. One day, you're going to have a seat at the table. One day, you were going to be in the presence of the king. One of these days, you're not going to be overlooked. You're not going to be set aside. You're not going to be told just to shut up and go along with everything. You're going to be in the presence of the Lord, and he's going to make everything right. Justice is going to be performed. So verse 19, David makes this prayer. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men, but humans. Selah. Boy, that's a good place for a Selah. Stop and think about that. What's going to happen and what is it going to be like when God says, Enough! And Jesus returns and judgment is executed everywhere where people have been rebellious against God. And the people of God are going to be, instead of put down and told to just shut up and you're an antique, you don't matter anymore, you don't fit in our society. And all of a sudden we are called up and called out to be in the presence of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords forever. And as family members of the ultimate King, we're going to sit down at a banqueting table at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Christ will serve us. And we're going to see everything unfold and all of the promises that God has made all throughout the Scripture right before our eyes. They are all going to unfold until that time when Jesus says it's time to go back to earth. And he gets on a white horse and he takes us as his armies with him and we go back to rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. You ever looked around and you said about maybe about the mayor or city council or about a school board? Have you ever said something about a governor or the state legislature or maybe even the president or the Congress? Maybe it's a foreign leader and you said, man, I wish they would listen to me because I know what they ought to do. And when you go back with Jesus, you know what the Bible says in Revelation? We are going to reign with him your voice is going to be heard common sense is going to be common once again the curse will be reversed judgment will be it says with a rod of iron swift and secure it's not going to take 15 20 years before justice is brought out jesus will do it instantly it won't be corrupt it won't be two-tiered where some people get it and some people don't it will be fair it'll be right it'll be just like the justice of God, because you won't be able to hide anything from Him. 
And you are going to have your opportunity to rule and reign with Him. And all of this stuff that you've learned from the Word of God like we're doing tonight, you're going to get the chance to apply it one of these days. What you are going through right now, the battles you face, the things that you are learning, even the mistakes that you made, you are in training for reigning, one preacher said. You're going to reign with Him. And your faithfulness now is going to determine what position you get when you rule and reign with the Lord. So the more faithful you are, the more you're going to be put under. He who is faithful over little things will be made faithful over much. That's the way that it works. So you are being prepared now for the reign of Christ. And so we need to look at it and think about what it's going to be like. And the psalmist told us some things here that are a little strong and very harsh. But I want you to think with this. Point number one is this. No matter how dominant, no matter how dominant it is, evil is temporary. Boy, it doesn't seem like it. And it doesn't feel like it. It seems like evil wins. It seems like evil never goes away. It seems like evil, just whenever it's stopped for a little while, maybe politics stops some evil things for a while. Have you ever noticed that when it's really bad, when it's really evil, when it is really against nature and against God, next time a new politician comes up that favors it, it just picks up where it, le where it left off. It seems like when you're trying to do the right thing and you put the right people in office and right policies are going on, we enjoy them for a while, but then that person doesn't get elected again. And so the new person comes in and they undo everything that has been done before and then they just pick up right where they left off. You know the old saying... All that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do what? Nothing. Nothing, right? And it seems like that we have been, all of my life, first election I ever voted in was when I was, when I was 20. That's when the cycle came around, 1980. And I was part of the group that said, if we can just get good people elected... And you know what I've seen over the years? Those good people get up there and sometimes those good people become just as corrupt as the people we wanted to replace. Sometimes they get up there and they become evil and they participate in evil and we go, well, I never saw that coming. Then other times they go up there and maybe they don't become evil. They just don't do anything. I am uh, sick and tired of people, men and women both, that run and campaign as conservatives and then govern as liberals. Aren't you? Because it's a lie. It's a lie. And we elect good people expecting them to do something and then they do nothing, which we just said is all that's necessary for evil to triumph. Where's the fight? Where is it that we have these people that will say, I don't care if I ever get elected again. I am going to stand on this issue. That's what I campaigned on, and that's where I'm going to stand. There are just not very many of those kind of people. 
back when Ted Cruz was running for president, I bought his book and I read it. And he made this statement. He said, imagine my surprise when I found out on my first day in the Senate that you spend 95% of your time not representing the American people, but figuring out how you're going to get reelected. Is anybody surprised by that? I would have been at one time. But when I read that, I go, yeah, that's just about right. That's about the way it seems. Because we elect good people, and most of the time they do nothing. And some of the people that do try to do something, well, then they don't get reelected, and so it fizzles, and somebody bad takes their place. Or they don't, there's not enough of them to really make a difference. I mean, if you're outnumbered in Congress by the ones who support what's evil, and you've only got a few that are supporting what is good, they don't have the votes, you go, boy, it gets discouraging. I know that they keep telling us, just wait until November. <laughs> I have heard that so many times in my life. Haven't you? It's going to be different. Oh, wait, wait until so-and-so gets in the Senate. Wait until so-and-so gets in the House of Representatives. Wait until so-and-so is in the White House. I have heard that so many times. I look at all of that and I go, dear Lord, where are we supposed to go and what are we supposed to do? And then I get reminded of my own messages. Quit putting your hope in men. Quit putting your hope in politics. Put your hope in God. Why so downcast, O oh my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. That's what the Bible says. And we forget that sometimes. Sometimes we do it in here, and sometimes we see little sparks of it in here. Aren't there times when you come to church and you hear something out of the Word of God and you go, man, I feel so much better. And you get out there and you step into the sewage of this world, into the cesspool of this world, and it smells bad and it messes up your your uh, shoes of the gospel of the preparation of peace and it splatters onto your robes of righteousness. That's why we need to have 1 John 1, 9. We've got to confess our sins. We, we get spotted. We get messed up. We're like Peter. We have to have our feet washed every once in a while. Remember Peter didn't want his feet washed by the Lord and the Lord said, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part with me. And Peter said, then wash all of me. And the Lord said, you don't need all to be washed. You're already cleansed. You just need your feet washed. And that's what 1 John 1, 9 does as we walk through the cesspool and the sewage of this world as we hear things we don't really want to hear. You ever hear things? Sometimes you may be watching a perfectly good TV show and the commercial is belched out of hell. Right? Sometimes you get around different people and you're doing the right thing and then you hear things coming from them that it's like, I wish I'd never heard that. Got to confess your sins. You got to be clean every once in a while. And we walk through all of this and we say, like so many have said throughout history, how long, O Lord? In the book of Revelation, there's a group of people underneath the throne. And they're saying, how long? How long? Well, I am here to tell you today, whether you feel good about it or not, 
Jesus is coming again, and one of these days the Lord is going to say, Enough! And the devil won't be able to stop him. All of the demons of hell won't be able to stop him. The Antichrist and the beast will not be able to stop him. World governments will not be able to stop him. The television will not be able to stop him. Radio will not be able to stop him. Podcasts won't be able to stop him. Twitter won't be able to stop him. He's going to say enough and everything will come to a screeching halt. That is going to be an amazing thing and you're going to be around to see it. You say, well, I don't know. I may die before then. That doesn't matter. You're still going to be around to see it. Right? That's the promise that we have from the Lord. Now, evil seems dominant, but it's temporary. So whenever you hear about these things, things that come out in movies for children, or uh, what did they have in Dallas the other day? They had uh, little kids being entertained by drag queens inside of a gay bar. You're not even supposed to be in there if you're not over 21 and they had little children in there you look at that kind of stuff and you go how does that go on when you hear about district attorneys that they will not even press charges against somebody that robs a Walgreens in San Francisco unless it's over a thousand dollars and then it's not much can you imagine that's just like saying come on in take whatever you want don't worry about paying for it and then they can't figure out why Walgreens and grocery stores don't go into certain parts of town it's no mystery to us but they just can't seem to figure it out we look at all of this kind of stuff and say, what are people thinking? What in the world is happening here? Why is this going on? Well, good news. It'll stop one of these days. It may seem insurmountable, but Scripture tells us that it is temporary. Look at verse 17. The wicked shall be turned into hell. And we know that. We've read the book of Revelation. We've read about the great white throne judgment. And we've read about how people are going to be called up the great and the small before the Lord Jesus Christ. That means big shots and little shots. The ones that have all the power, the ones that have no voice. It doesn't matter. They are against the Lord. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. And they're against him. And they're going to die that way. And they're going to be called before him. And books are going to be opened and uh, their defense is going to be, well, look at all the charita, charitable deeds I did. Look at the nice things that I did for people. Look at my public service. The books are going to be open. And it's going to be exposed that they did it for themselves. They did it in the power of the flesh. They did it against God. They opposed God in everything that they did. And then the one book that matters is going to be open, the book of life. And their name is not in it. And the scripture says that, Every man's name that was not found in the book of life was cast where? Into the lake of fire forever. Prepared for the devil and his angels. And I want you to know something. And anybody who's watching and anybody who watches this sermon later, I take no pleasure in that. I have no glee in that. I don't have any feeling of get them. I would rather they be saved, wouldn't you? I would rather they get right with God and go to heaven. I'm just simply saying this is what the Bible says. The wicked shall be turned into hell. And uh, that word hell there is the Hebrew word sheol. Sheol. It can mean grave. 
And so uh, whatever it means and however it should be interpreted, it means they're going to die. I'm glad that you can go to Moscow today and you can go into Red Square and there's a certain place that you can go in and you can see that wicked man Vladimir Lenin, the first premier of the Soviet Union, and they've got his body preserved in a glass coffin. You can go in there and see it. You know what that tells me I don't care who you are I don't care how powerful you are it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment that's where this world is heading that's where the nations are heading that's where people are heading the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God I uh, thought about something that uh, Ronald Reagan said when he was president. It was in 1982. He was speaking before the parliament in uh, Great Britain. And he said, what I am describing now is a plan and a hope for the long term. The march of freedom and democracy which will leave, you ready for this? Marxism and Leninism in the ash heap of history as it has left other tyrannies which stifle the freedom and muzzle the self-expression of the people. The ash heap of human history. Boy, that made the Soviets mad. And it made liberals mad here. How dare he say that? But Ronald Reagan, even though he was kind of called a prophet because in 1989 the Berlin Wall came down and all of that. Boy, he was right on it. Hey, Reagan has nothing. David said this 3,000 years before it happened because David was giving us the word and the plan of God. Nations are swept away into the dustbin, into the ash heap of human history. Babylonia looked insurmountable. Where are they today? Persia looked insurmountable. Where are they today? Alexander the Great, he wept because there were no more worlds to conquer. Where is his empire today? The Caesars and the Romans, they came like a, like a, a force that was unimaginable and so swift as they took over and ruled over their empire. Where are they today? In the ash heap of human history. Where is the Soviet Union today? In the ash heap of human history. And David is telling us, as you think about these things and look around at these things, that's their destiny because they don't know God and they rebel against Him. Number two, when God says enough, here's good news for you, all the losers are the ones who win. All the losers win. It seems like all of the winners now that have everything and, and go against us and try to control us and ignore us and overrun us, well, there's a day coming when it's not going to be so good for them. But what about all of us that are just the little shots, the nobodies? For the needy shall not always be forgotten. It's good news. You're going to be remembered by the one who matters. And the expectation of the poor shall not perish forever you got any dreams got any hopes things that you've been praying about well they're going to be answered one of these days in fact jesus said in the sermon on the mountain the beatitudes blessed are the poor in spirit for they shall see god that's you 
That's you. And the world looks and says, oh, poor you. And whenever they say that, you ought to smile and say, no, you just complimented me because I am poor. And I may not be poor in my finances, but I am spiritually impoverished, spiritually poor. I have nothing to bring before the Lord, nothing that would commend me to the Lord. As the old hymn says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Because God has a way of blessing those who are spiritually impoverished, spiritually poor. And why does he do that? Because it's those people who turn to the Lord. It's not the self-sufficient. It's not the proud. It's not those who think they have everything. The church at Laodicea, Jesus said to them, Because you are rich and increased with goods and say, I have need of nothing. And you don't know that you were poor, blind, miserable, and naked. That's the church that he said, I'm going to spew out of my mouth. Well, you're not like that. You are different because you have recognized you have nothing. Christ has everything and you put your trust in him and the expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. There is a day coming. He's going to say enough and you're going to rule and reign with him and he's going to put a stop to all of this mess. Somebody say amen to that. Paul Tripp says, perhaps today you may feel alone, but as God's child you are not alone because your Savior's promise is that he will never leave or forsake you. And by the way, he never breaks his promises. Hallelujah to that. God is going to do for you and in you and through you everything he has ever promised to do he hadn't forgotten he's not behind he is not tripped up somewhere he is right on schedule managing and running everything the way he wants it to go number three let's talk about the anticipation of the ages I suppose every person at one time has said things are not right Where's the justice? When do things get put back together? And they may try in their feeble way to put them back together in their half-hearted, impotent, human way. But there's going to be something that happens. Verse 19 talks about this, and David's prayer is what our prayer ought to be tonight. Arise, O Lord. We can't do it. Only you can. Do not let man prevail. Put them in their place. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord. You know, one of the things about people and nations that are proud is they're never afraid. They're bold, they're arrogant, self-assured, self-empowered, and they're not afraid of anything. We've got nuclear weapons, they say. We can vaporize the world, they say. We've got all the money, they say. We've got time on our side, they say. And they shake their fist in the face of God. And they say, we will do what we will do. And David says, arise, O Lord, and put them in their place. What do you think happened in Nazi Germany? Hitler, Adolf Hitler said it would last a thousand years. It would be the thousand year Reich. How long did it last? Not very long. 
not very long. Not very long. How many other nations, how many other emperors, how many other kings have said something similar to that? And where are they now? Arise, O Lord. And as I look around and I see all of the evil around me, my prayer is like David's. Arise, O Lord. Do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight and put them in fear, O Lord. Take these proud nations, by the way, even our own, put them in their place, humble them, bring them to repentance, put them in fear, O Lord. There was a time when our nation had at least a semblance of the fear of God and His judgment. No longer. We are in that day where we call what is evil good, and we also call good evil. You're in a nation now that puts you in the evil camp. You are haters. You are bigots. You are homophobes and all of the things. You think about all the names you get. You, you are that. Our church is that. Our denominations are that. Christians are that today. What are we supposed to do? How do we handle all of this? Well, you can't and I can't. There's not anything we can do. But God certainly can. And as God works through us in the power and the strength of the gospel, as God works through us through the holiness that we live, through the righteousness that we have as a breastplate on our armor, as we do that, God works and God prevails. King David said in Psalm 68, verses 1 through 3, God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him as smoke is driven away, and so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad. And they shall exalt before the Lord, and they shall be jubilant with joy. I'm looking forward to that day, aren't you? I'm looking forward to that day. And number four, be our last point, the realization at the great white throne. What is going to happen to people when they are called up from hell and off of earth, those who are living, who are lost, and they're standing before the Lord? What will Caesar Augustus say when he stands before Jesus? What will Herod the Great say when he stands before Jesus? Have you ever wondered what Pilate will say when instead of Jesus standing before him, he's standing before Jesus? What's that going to be like? Well, we know from what the Bible tells us that we'll hear the words of judgment and condemnation but I think David brings up something that uh, I've never really thought about before. Realization at the great white throne judgment. What is it? Look at this. That the nations may know themselves to be but men. How many people have thought that they were God? Thought that they were the Messiah? 
How many nations have thought that they ruled and they were supernatural, ruling by divine right, and they could do anything they wanted and get away with anything? How many nations have been like that? A lot. A lot. And then it says here that they will see themselves to be men. You know what that means? Humans. Frail flesh. They are going to stand in all of their arrogance and all of their pride before the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who defeated Satan and all of his demons on the cross of Calvary, whom the Father has placed all judgment in his hands. And they're going to stand before him. And all of these who have claimed to be God or some sort of God or a combination of God like the Pharaohs and Caesars and others did. What's that going to do for them when they stand before nail-pierced hands, nail-pierced feet and face the sovereign creator of the universe all of a sudden they realize they are powerless and they are but men. And David says, Selah, you need to think about that because that's the prediction of the future. That's what's going to happen. Dr. Stephen Lawson says, and I'll conclude with this, believers should know that when they are persecuted by the ungodly, God will come to their rescue and defeat their adversaries. Sometimes this retribution will be inflicted in this lifetime. But this wrath may also await the final judgment. Whether now or later, God will make right every injustice suffered by His people at the hands of their enemies. Therefore, believers should call on God when they are attacked, trusting in Him to be their stronghold. The righteous should never seek personal vengeance, but instead be reminded that the battle belongs to the Lord. 2 Chronicles 20.15 In their day of trouble, they should humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. He and He alone is working all things according to the counsel of His eternal will, Ephesians 1.11. Let all God's people bow before Him, never relying upon the arm of the flesh, but trusting in the Lord. He alone is an unassailable refuge whose sovereign plans and eternal purpose cannot be thwarted. And let all the people of God say, Amen. Because that's the part of the family and a part of the army and a part of the kingdom to which we belong. John said it this way, this world is passing away. You are watching a dying, rotting, stinking corpse whenever you go into the world. It is passing away. But we serve the one 
who is returning. And one of these days, he's going to say, enough! And the headline will be, indeed, God prevails. God has won the victory. Our God reigns. And we are walking in the train of his triumph for eternity. What a great, great thing for us to think about. You know, in the end of World War II, they had VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, and VJ Day. I wonder what they'll call it when God takes over. And I wonder what it'll be like when we hold His banner high and we sing praises to His name because His victory will be a victory that lasts for eternity and it will never be taken away and those battles will never be fought again and we'll beat our swords into plowshares and we will worship Him and as it says in Isaiah, we will study war no more because the ultimate victory is His and it will be ours one of these days. But until then, keep your armor on, keep fighting, keep aware, keep praying, stay humble, and know that God has this all in control, no matter how it may feel, to the praise of the glory of His eternal grace. And all God's people said, Heavenly Father, as we think about all of this, we're encouraged tonight because of what David wrote 3,000 years ago. Thank you. Oh Lord, our prayer is that you would arise and you would do something about all of this stuff. We're under attack. We are afflicted. Our kids are assaulted. Oh Father, it makes us want to pray for our children. It makes us want to pray for our teenagers makes us want to pray for college students, makes us want to pray for young adults who are raising their families now, makes us want to pray for those of us who are grandparents now that we would have influence on our grandkids, on this new generation until you take us home. And the same for great-grandparents and even great-great-grandparents. So, Father, use us and arise and stir us and fight And win victories in us first and also through us that will astound the world. And that's what we pray for, Lord, knowing that ultimately it is going to happen. Be merciful, be gracious, be kind, but show your power in your people. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.